this morning, humbling ourselves before you, knowing, Lord, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We, we come before you and ask you, Lord, knowing you were the one to fight our battles. Lord, may we trust you. May we humble ourselves before you. May, be, may we listen to you. And may we, Lord, follow you into everything you have for us. Thank you for going to the cross for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Corey tells me i got to stick to the handheld. So that's what I'm going to do. All right. Um, turn, we're going to get there eventually, but turn to Psalm 46. But as you turn there, I want to ask, like, do you believe in Bigfoot? Kids, I'm trying to get your attention here. Have your parents done a fine job of instructing you on the truth and the reality of Bigfoot? I like to call them Sasquatch because that sounds a little bit more threatening. And I had a, I had a psychology class um, in college that, you know, one of the first questions you wrestle with is if a tree falls in the forest and you don't hear it or see it fall, did that actually happen? And so I ask the same question regarding Bigfoot. If Bigfoot is actually wandering the forest and no one has ever seen him or heard him, does that mean he doesn't exist? And so you all have like serious looks on your face like, I think this guy is for real. Well, I am for real. At least my grandkids think so. How about do you believe in dragons? If you don't believe in Bigfoot, are you willing to believe that there are dragons? So, kids, I want you... Right now, if your parents are not believers in dragons, when you get home today, what I want you to do is ask your parents to read for you Job 41. And Job 41 declares the dragon's name to be a Leviathan. And as you read through the description of who this grand beast is that I believe is a fire-breathing dragon... Even the fire-breathing dragon called Leviathan is, has to and must submit to God. Because God is bigger even than that dragon. Job 41, parents, I expect you to read it for your kids, okay? Well, up until about a week ago, we had to assume that there was no such thing as life beyond our planet. And if you have watched the news, if you've... It sounds like, based on a former officer of the United States Air Force and intelligence agents, agent, so as soon as you hear intelligence regarding our U.S. government, you start to question what he is about to say. But anyhow, he has declared, even this past week, that there is a spaceship that they have and that there are biologics they found on board. Not alive, but they're actually biologic. So we're left with thinking, what in the world is going on here? And so if you think about Bigfoot roaming around your backyard or dragons flying in the sky or aliens coming to the planet, what does that do to your heart? Does it provoke any sort of fear regarding these things that remain unknown to us? Does it provoke any sorts of fear? Well, here's what we're going to learn today. 
when God is our refuge and strength, when he is our ever-present help, which he is in times of trouble, there is nothing we need ever fear. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to tell you a story, which, which um, the account of it actually comes from Scripture, but I've changed it to make it apply a little more to us today, okay? So here's what I want you to think. Aliens from outer space, they came. And they right now have 185 million alien army standing at our northern border in Canada. And they are ready. They don't care about the United States of America. They just want to simply get to Mexico. And in order to get to Mexico, we all know they must come through the United States. And so right now you're probably thinking like, well, why do they even care about Mexico? Isn't it what we want? Or, or, or isn't it us that they want? And the answer is no, because in our pride and arrogance, the Lord is determining that we need to be corrected for the way we think about ourselves. So these aliens aren't even concerned with us. They're ready to get to Mexico, but they must come through us. And so a message has been delivered to the United States president, and it goes something like this. The king of Mars stood and he called out in a loud voice in English. And this is what he said. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Mars. Thus says the king, do not let your president deceive you. For he and the full might of your armed forces will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let him make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us and this country will not be given into the hands of the king of Mars. Do not listen to your president, for thus says the king of Mars. Make your peace with me. Come out to me. Then each one of you will be provided his own food to his heart's content. Each one will never be thirsty, for he will drink the water from his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of Skittles and Kool-Aid, a land of mac and cheese and Mountain Dew, a land of apple trees and whipped cream, that you may live and not die. This is the message that the King of Mars is declaring to our president and from him us. Do not listen to your president when he misleads you saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Mars? Where are the gods of China and North Korea? Where are the gods of Russia and Germany and England? Have those gods delivered even Canada out of my hands? And you're like, well, that one seems to make sense. And you're like, I hear, I hear the booze from the Canadians. And you're like, well, I wonder why they didn't start on the southern border and make their way to Canada. Well, I believe it's because we at least have half a wall down there that they thought it would be easier to come in from the north side. Okay, enough of that. Who among all the gods of the land have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver you out of my hand? And so here's what we see happen. The president of the United States, he freaks out, as he should. 185 million. He knows that our military has lost its strength over the years. And now we have this army, this massive army that exceeds twice the population of our country. And he freaks out, so he calls John Piper. And (laughs) 
We have applause. And if you like, if you're like, okay, he called John MacArthur. Kids, he may actually call Blippy, or he may even call Bluey. And if you don't know who either Blippy or Bluey are, you need to ask your kids. And uh, if you your kids don't know, ask your grandkids. And if they don't know, ask your neighbor's kids who these two individuals are. And I would I would read what encouragement either Blippy or Bluey or John MacArthur or John Piper offered to the President of the United States in an Australian accent like Bluey does, but I'm I'm not gonna be able to do that. So here's here's what here's what here's what they said to the president. Listen, settle down. Because a rumor is going to come into the ears of the King of Mars. And he's going to hear and know that he is needed somewhere else. So it came true. The 185 million followed the king to Mercury and things were going on there. But, but what we know is eventually they're coming back. And so in the meantime, in order to bring comfort and encouragement to the president and his people, John Piper says, look, We have no reason to worry, and this is why. He turned to Psalm 46, and this is what he read. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will hear her when the morning dawns, help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we find the rumor believed. The king of Mars leaves with all his his warriors. But he comes back. He cannot be fooled. He's ready to deal with the United States on his way to Mexico. And we find the president on his face one night praying to God for help. And that night, while we were all asleep, the Lord won a massive victory. He sends one of his angels and destroys 185 million Martian I suppose they're from Mars now, Martian soldiers, and saves us. What a grand victory, right? Well, we know that story isn't true, but what we do know is true, that this actually happened around 700 B.C. to the people of Judah. The the corruption of the northern kingdom of Israel, God's people, became so full They became so full in their corruption that God decided it was time to bring some discipline upon them, and so he did. He sends an Assyrian army. He attacks the northern kingdom of Israel, 
conquers them, sends them off into captivity. Their next stop was Egypt. And in order to get to Egypt, the Assyrian army had to make its way through Judah. And so what we see is 185,000 men of Assyria standing at the northern border. And the king of Israel, the king of Judah is crying out, Lord, what are we to do? There is no way we can win this victory. We need your help. And that night, while all of Judah was asleep, this has actually happened. The Lord sends one of his angels at the command of the Lord. One of the angels come. And while Judah was at sleep at night, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were destroyed at the hand of the Lord. When we have someone like that on our side, why do we ever fear anything? This psalm, Psalm 46, which is the one we're looking at today, was a psalm, a song, that was written right after that grand victory. as a commemorative psalm to remind the people of Judah and the people of Israel the might and the power and the care and the concern that God has for his people. Commemorative psalm. And here's what strikes me. That's easy I suppose it would be very easy to write that psalm and believe every word of it after you see the victory won. But how easy would it have been to, to, to believe God is our refuge and our strength. He is our very present help in time of trouble before the battle comes. It's much, much harder to believe. And so because we are a people that struggles to trust, God must walk us through these moments in life where we are standing in front of an army of the enemy, that he must prove himself to us in order that we would trust him. And in this psalm, he says, be still and know. That's verse 10. Be still and know. When you are still, where does your mind go? When you are still, what do you hear? I'm not a fan of silence, And not simply because I'm afraid of where my mind will take me. I'm not a fan of silence because I have this thing called tinnitus. Does anyone else even know what tinnitus is and you struggle with it? It's pretty awful, isn't it? I can can block it out. It's a constant ringing in my ears. It never goes away. It's always there. In times like this, I can ignore it because, because we're engaged in something. When you're engaged, you don't hear it. But when you stop and take a moment, or when you lay your head down at night, you hear this constant ringing. So I'm not a fan of silence. But I am a fan of stillness. And so when you are still, when I am still, where does our mind's thoughts take us? Maybe you're like the 10-year-old that's been placed in timeout. And there are like 20 different flowers in your head and you are a butterfly trying to decide which one it wants to settle on. Some, you believe, are poisonous. Some, you believe, are just fine. You don't know which ones they are, and so all of a sudden, your mind starts rolling around. There's goodness over here. There is not goodness over here. Where does your mind take you when you sit and you be still? Are you driven by confidence-building, God-driven victories, or, or are you robbed of peace 
because of the fear-driving things that you have experienced in your life. And you've come to a place where you're like, I must avoid that at all costs. So I want you to imagine right now there's an army standing against you, and God is saying to you, so what, what, what are the soldiers look like in your life? These things that you believe come against you, that you are someone that right now believes that in my own strength, I can, I can get after this and I can destroy it. That you have determined, I know where my place of safety is. I know where my fortress is. I know where I can run to safety. And so that's where I've decided I must go. What are the things in your life right now that drive you to those places that when you're... My, I, I, I had someone tell me this week they cannot... It's really hard for them to sit and be still because their minds go to, I can't do this. I can't do it anymore. But what this psalm, based on what we are seeing from the people of Judah as they've written this psalm for you and me, that God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our ever-present, very present help in time of trouble, and we should always, always lean into him and trust in him. And so we have absolutely zero reason to fear. Not a single reason to fear if God is our God. And so you have, if you have a bulletin in front of you, it's a very, very simple outline, and the answers are provided in the very first verse. We have no reason to fear. No reason to fear. So I'm just going to give them to you right now. Wendy said to me last night, she's like, since we're going to be outside and cook out and hanging out together, this is going to be a short sermon, right? And so it wasn't really a question. There was more uh, direction being provided. And I said, I don't know. Like, with a clock in front of me in the sanctuary, I know when time is winding down, but right now I have no idea what's going to happen next. I mean, I do know what's happening next. I just don't know how long it's going to take. So anyhow, here's, here we go. Here we go. When we, we have no reason to fear when God is our God. The answer is found in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. It says, I, I am God. He is God, but when you permit him to be your God. All right, that's the first one. The second one is, and you'll find these, you'll find the next three in verse one, and I bet I wouldn't even need to tell you what, what they are. We have no reason to fear, number two, when God is our refuge. The next one is we have no reason to fear when God is our strength. And the last one is, we have no reason to fear when God is our help. So let's look at the first one real quick if we can. We have no reason to fear when God is our refuge. Be still and know. Knowing begins with this. God is always God. It's simply a matter of us knowing that truth and believing it. And the moment we do... As Romans chapter 9 verse 10 says, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. I propose this to you. There could be 185 million Martian army standing at your doorstep ready to smite your life right out of existence. But your greatest enemy is you. 
and your own flesh. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus did what he did to save you from yourself, he died and rose again and now stands at the right hand of the God, God the Father speaking on your behalf. If you believe that he did this in order to save you from you, you are saved and you have walked into a wonderful world of accepting the amazing truth that God is God. You have no reason to fear when you're willing to accept that truth. When, when God is God, and here's what we need to remember. We don't instantly receive that as true. Even after we come into relationship with him, he has given us the ability to believe in it. But what's he going to do for us now that God is our God? He needs to reveal it over time as he walks us through these hardships of life. It's revealed when life gets hard and it gets scary. Look at verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 46. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth gives way. We have no reason to fear because God is our God. The mountains be moved into the sea, even if the mountains are moved into the sea. Even when the waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at their swelling, we have no reason to fear. I know you have seen what natural disaster does. But when God is on your side, you have no reason to even fear that. For our sake, God must prove himself over and over and over again so that we will know him and that he will be our God and we can trust in him. In 2015, there was a massive earthquake in Nepal. And if you, I I don't know where to find it, but there's a documentary on that experience, the experience of people um, in Nepal when this happened. But the most... um, unnerving experience of all that I saw was people, a handful of people were at base camp on Mount Everest. And so they're watching the mountains shake before them, knowing there are some that have already left to start to go after the summit, but there are still a number of people in base camp. They feel the mountains shaking and trembling. And then as they're standing there, there are numerous people that recorded some of them, their eventual death, some by miraculous, the miraculous hand of God lived through it, but they're recording this most incredible avalanche. It is as it is speeding toward them. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Even over this, even over this. Avalanche comes, wipes them out, some die, some live. Even in moments like that, even in moments like that, God proves that he is your God and you have no reason to fear even though the mountains tremble and give way. Let's look at the second one. No reason to fear when God is our refuge. God is our refuge, verse 1. What's your safe place? Where do you go when you're afraid? I remember as a kid, and, you know, it's just the silliness of being a child. I felt safest when I was buried underneath my covers in bed. I don't know why that is, but I felt really safe there. Kids, where do you feel safe? There have been these things that were created somewhere back in the 1960s by a group of people that didn't feel like society was good to them and safe, so they created what they called safe space. Safe space is defined as this, a place or environment which a person or a category of people, a type of person, can feel confident that they will not be exposed to discrimination, criticism, harassment, or any other emotional or physical harm. 
So I don't know what it looked like. It was like they draw a box on the sidewalk and decide if I'm standing in here, you can't harm me. Well, that was provoked again, um, and it became much more um, real to us today in 2016 when there was a number of people that did not like the results of the election. And so the safe space was redetermined in 2016 based on that. Safe space. Where's your safe space? Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. A river whose streams make glad the city of God. You think about, you think about a city that right now is walled in, the enemy's on the outside. The imagery of this is the, our place is a very safe place, this city of God. And there was a, there was a conduit that provided water that flowed through Jerusalem. And the imagery is this, simply that we have the water we need and the river that's flowing through the city of God provides us with the fish and the nourishment we need in order to stay alive. So we have all the food we need. We have all the water we need. We can say, hold up here for a long, long time. It is a place of safety that God is using right now, the waters of this river, to provide us with everything we need. He is our provider, and he is our sustainer. There's a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, glad when we are provided for, glad when we are protected, the holy habitation of the Most High, which means God is there. Safest place is where God himself is. Now listen to this. Verse 5 says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Who is she that he is talking about? Well, if you've spent any time at Summit Church, you know that he is talking about the bride of Christ. Those who believe that God is God, who have received the person of Jesus Christ and made him Lord of their lives, you know that the bride is the her that he is talking about here. Look for a magnificent description of it in Revelation chapter 21, this beautiful jewel of a city that is made up of the people of God. If you've ever watched a movie that um, it's like an apocalyptic type movie and you, you see a city, let's say like Chicago, and buildings are falling down and, and grass is growing up in the cracks of the sidewalks and on and on the list goes, um, what makes a city special is not the buildings. What makes a city special is the people. The people are what makes a city special. Her the bride of Christ is what makes this city beautiful, and it's only beautiful because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. God is in the midst of her. Praise God for that. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. It's if God is your God, that's where you know and how you know that you are a member of the her and the she that the psalmist is talking about right now. Look at verses 7 and 11. 7 and 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When you are in danger, where do you go? When you sense danger, what do you do? What's your safe place? 
I can tell you right now, the safest place to be right now is if you take a look to your left and your right and front and behind, this is the safest place for you to be because this is where God is. In the fellowship and among us as believers in Jesus Christ, there is no safer place to be. Though the mountains give way, though the earth trembles, though the seas roar and foam, this is where I want to be when I feel like I'm in a place of danger, hanging out with brothers and sisters in Christ. When God is our God, we have no reason to fear because he is our refuge. Look at the next one. Verse 1 again, God is our refuge, yes, and he is our strength. So when God is our strength, we have no reason to fear. Listen to this. I don't know if you've ever spent any time in a gym or you've ever worked out, but it's pretty amazing to think that a human being can be this strong. The world record for squat, so they put a bar on their shoulders with metal plates on the ends of the bars, and they dip and stand up. Squat. Everyone knows what a squat is, right? The world record is by Vlad Azelhoff. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Squatted over 1,000 pounds. Now, what would happen if you put 1,000 pounds on your shoulders? It would break every bone in my body from neck to to heels. There is absolute, I couldn't even pick it off the, I couldn't even pick it off the rack. A hundred, or excuse me, a thousand pounds. The world record for bench press, so you lay down a bench, bench, you take the same bar with the same weight on. The world record for bench is held by Jimmy Kolb, 1,350 pounds. I can't even imagine that kind of strength. So here's a question for you. That's the strength of a man. I can tell you right now it means nothing in the face of God. But what do you rely on? So what, where do you go to find strength, to respond to things in strength? Question for you. Do you go after your own personal resolve? You're like, I am determined right now to see myself through this challenge. I have the personal and mental fortitude to think rightly about how to respond to this thing. Maybe that's you. Maybe you rely on your charisma or your ability to maneuver your way through people in trouble to your benefit. Maybe you're someone that relies on the strength of your rage I direct people with my anger. Maybe you're a master manipulator. You know how to pout. You know how to shed tears. You know how to rely on yourself in order to take care of yourself in the best way that you know how. When God is your God, listen. Listen to the resource you have in him. Listen to this. Look at verse 6. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. We can see that. He utters his voice and the earth melts. Simply at the word of God himself, he has the power to melt our earth. And here's what I know. One day, that's actually going to happen. When Christ returns to take us home to be with him, he's going to utter a word and the earth is going to be destroyed by fire. It's going to melt. That will be the day where you will want God to be your God. He hutters his voice, 
and the earth melts. Look at verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Verse 9. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Why in the world will we ever count on ourselves and our ability to think right and act right and lift weight and whatever when we have a God who simply utters a word and the earth melts? When he determines an, a, a battle is to stop, snap of his fingers and it's over. Why would we ever count on ourselves and our own ability? Why would you rely on anything other than God to fight your battles? Listen, when God is our God, we have no reason to fear because he is our refuge and he is our strength. And here's the last one. When God is our God, we have no reason to fear when he is our help. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What if you were Peter? All right. Let's assume right now the Apostle Peter, when he stepped out of the boat, started walking toward Jesus, let's say he didn't know how to swim. Let's say you are Peter. In the presence of the Almighty God, in the form of Jesus Christ, is standing in front of you. Wind is, wind is blowing. Waves are raging. You take your eyes off of Jesus. You determine, I'm going to handle this on my own. You start to sink. You know how to swim. What are you going to do? Peter rightly called out, God, save me. You are my help right here. Help me. Save me. Here would be my temptation to turn and try and swim back to the boat. Jesus, the same one that saved Peter from drowning, is the one who calmed the storm. Asleep in the bow of the boat. The disciples are afraid the boat's going to sink. They wake him up at a word of his mouth. The sea settles, and they are saved. Ever-present, very present help in times of trouble. What would you do if you were in Peter's position? Here's the key. You simply have to trust. Let him be your help. 185,000 soldiers of the Assyrians slain because God said so. Peter lifted out of the water when he cried out for help, his ever-present help in time of trouble. So let's wrap it with this reminder. The grandest enemy you will ever face is you. So I have a question for you. Why is it that you fear? Why do we fear? We fear when we don't trust why can't we be still? We can't be still because we don't trust. And the grandest expression of trust is this, is to simply walk where Jesus takes us. And it's a, it's a shame that we need God himself to prove himself over and over and over again that he is trustworthy. And the only way, we can't drum this trust up on our own, the only way we come to trust God is when we walk where he takes us. We don't fight against the plan he has for us. We go with him into it and let him prove himself over and over and over again. I know you've heard trust is earned. 
I'd like to like wipe your minds clean of that because trust is not earned. Trust is learned. It's learned by spending time with Jesus and letting him direct your paths. Be still and know that I am God. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I'm the one in charge. I will be exalted where? In the earth. The, the earth, the place where all I need to do is speak one word and it will melt. When God is on your side, when God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in times of trouble, we have no reason to fear. Trust is not acquired overnight. It doesn't come with Bible study, which Bible study, yes, is very, very helpful. It doesn't come with a fuller knowledge of biblical theology. While that is very helpful, that is not what will bring you to a place of trust. You can have the mental acuity to block out all negative and frightening thoughts. I can tell you that will run its course. You will wear yourself out doing that. Trust is not acquired overnight. It comes from obediently walking with God and experiencing firsthand his character and his power in your life. So here's your homework. King David prayed a very frightening prayer in Psalm 139. He said this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. When we pray that scary prayer, guess what God is going to do? He's going to test your ability to trust in him. And he's going to prove himself over and over and over again how absolutely trustworthy he is. Thank you, God, so much for the magnificent power of your word. Thank you, Lord, for how you prove yourself to us over and over again. Thank you for accounts like the victory you won for the people of Judah against the Assyrian army. Thank you, God, for being our refuge, for being our strength, for being our help. Oh, Lord, search us and know us. Test our hearts and see the offensive ways in us, Lord, and deal with them, we pray, Jesus, in your mighty and precious name.